what are a few things that you know exist, but that you can't see? You might answer the wind or love or anger or other emotions. And we know these things exist because we see their effects in the world. And that's a bit like one of the themes that we're going to be praying through today. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but he is very, very present. Welcome, I'm Michelle Berkey, and this is Praying Scripture, a weekday broadcast where we use God's own words to honor Him and to talk to Him about the things going on in our life and in our world. This is episode 208, and we are going to wrap up this series by praying through a few more of the major themes in the book of Esther. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about life and about prayer As far as a personal update today, we still have the same stuff going on, the same chaos of dealing with a car that's died and temporary jobs, and we're going to have to take a trip north soon to deal with my ex's um, things. But I don't want to talk about all that stuff today. I want to talk about something else. About a month or more ago, probably more, I feel like we're in this time vortex, not unlike the beginning of the pandemic. I can't keep track of my days. I feel like in some ways time is bleeding away from me. However long ago that was that I talked about the idea that God had made me as an artist or a maker and that as some form of accountability, I was going to give you periodic studio updates. When I said that, I was thinking that it would be about painting or printmaking or collage. But I have found myself instead sitting down and sewing. I've been an on-again, off-again sewist since middle school, I think, but lately it's the thing that has soothed my heart and my mind, has given me feelings of hope and progress, and when it feels like everything else is falling apart, I am putting pieces of fabric together to create something out of scraps. I have two main projects that I'll talk more about later probably, but I've been sitting down to create something almost every day for at least 15 minutes. Even if I can't do anything else, I will spend at least 10 or 15 minutes doing something in those projects. That habit, that intentional making is something that I've been trying to build into my life for a very long time, years. And I've noticed in the past few weeks how many small things around my home I have made over the years that I've just sat down and sewed. I had a friend that could not believe that I made my son's crib sheets. She was astonished but I couldn't find what I wanted and I had found the perfect fabric and it's the easiest shape ever to sew. It felt like no big deal to me because I have a background in pattern design and in sewing. I have everything from business card holders to planter bags or things that like bags that scrunch around uh, cover the plastic planter. I've brought tapestry and fabric home from foreign countries as souvenirs. And while it feels harder to connect spiritually with with God than painting as a spiritual practice, it feels like I'm on some side of path towards something important, both in the sense of my own identity and in the idea of creativity as a spiritual practice. So that's my update for today. I actually have been successful at building this routine into my life, uh, which (laughs) when I really stop and think about it, how many times I've said that I need to do this, it is huge for me. And I need to really sit down and celebrate the fact that this is working right now. That's not exactly what I was going to plan to talk about, but I want—I do want to talk for a few minutes about just what's coming up. Where are we going next? We're at the end of the book of Esther. So what's happening next? This is way late to be saying this, but I am not sure. I have a list of topics that I'm praying through and I have not landed on one yet. 
So let me know if any of the following of these really strike a chord. We are going to not be together next week. Next Monday is a holiday, a federal holiday. It's the 4th of July, uh, Independence Day here in the U.S. So I'm going to be taking that day off. The next week, we'll either start a new series or we will spend one day praying for some things in our culture, particularly things like Roe v. Wade that um, was repealed this week. Um, or we'll go straight into the next series. I'm not sure. But either way, I need to know what the next series are. And I thought that I would go ahead and ask you because I'm not coming up with really this uh, answer of what's next. So if you, if any of the following subjects strike a chord, you can email me at m. That stands for Michelle. The letter M is in Michelle at graceandthegravelroad.com or send me a message through social media. So I know that these are all ideas that I will be doing in the future. Here's the list. One of them is mental health, the idea of praying through anxiety and depression. One about the idea of doubt and questioning. One about control and surrender. One about brokenness. One about rest or Sabbath. And as far as the books of the Bible go, I'm looking at John, James, and Galatians. So if you have an opinion on any of those, if any of those strike your fancy and you're like, want to do one sooner rather than later, drop me a line and let me know. All right, let's switch over to talk a little bit about prayer. We talked last week about whether or not we should close or open our eyes during prayer, this idea of this mini series of prayer postures. Today, we're going to cover what we do with our body or one of the things that we do with our body, specifically standing or sitting versus kneeling. In most Protestant Western cultures in our church services, we stand or sit during prayer. Both of these postures are common. Some churches also kneel. The most familiar to you might be the Catholic Church. Kneeling is an ancient custom that indicated submission, honor, and respect. It was required before kings and queens, but it was common, a common cultural practice to take a knee before anyone of higher authority, especially when you are seeking to speak with them or ask them for something. Scientific American says that, quote, Kneeling probably derives from a core principle in mammalian nonverbal behavior. Make the body smaller and look up to show respect, esteem, and deference, end quote. So you can see how this cultural and instinctual practice would apply to God who has the greatest authority. If kneeling isn't something that you have practiced in your public or private practice, I urge you to give it a try. I once saw Amy Grant singing El Shaddai in an auditorium setting. It was an in-the-round setup, and I was standing in a doorway and looking at her from the side about kind of at her level. And as she was, quote, performing her then-hit song, she kneeled and closed her eyes. This kneeling, this posture transformed her performance into a beautiful expression of worship. The whole atmosphere of the room changed. So if the act of reverence and submission on the part of someone else can do that in a large auditorium, what might your own intentional act of kneeling in submission and respect and reverence do to transform your own heart attitude? Let's get to the actual praying. We're going to start with Nehemiah 9.6. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. One of the things to add on just for a moment about what we just last talked about 
is this last uh, phrase, the host of heaven worships you. Some translations will say, kneel before you, because the root word of worship is bow down. So there's a definite relationship with the idea of kneeling and worship. All right, let's go. Father, you are Lord, you alone. There are so many other things that we often put on that pedestal, but you alone are Lord. You alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of our bowing down. You made everything, everything we know, the heavens and the earth with all of the beauty and the um, intricacy and natural laws. And even it's, well, sometimes this harshness is the word that comes to mind, but that's not exactly can't think of the right word. It's not all beauty. (laughs) And you made it. You made everything that we know, all that is good in the world. My mind is (laughs) running through theology arguments in my head, and I want to stop that. Father, help me say the words that you want me to say. Help me speak the things that you want me to speak right now. You are creator is really my point. And we worship you today as such worthy of our worship. Even the host of heaven bows before you in worship. Let us do the same with our lives, with our attitudes, with our hearts, with our actions, with our words. Let us come before you in worship, in adoration, in recognition that everything we know comes from you. As we go on with this broadcast today, I ask that you would guide my thoughts and my words, that you would receive this as the gift it is intended to be, and that you would answer our prayers in mighty ways, that we would hear what you have to say to each one of us, that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to cover two main themes from Esther today. We looked at two last week, and in this week, this is the last week of this book, we're going to pray through the idea of living in exile and the truth that the hiddenness of God is not the same as the absence of God. So first, the Jews' experience in the book of Esther is strikingly similar to our own. They lived in a culture that legally tolerated their expression of worship, but was not overwhelmingly friendly towards it, and some were downright out to eliminate it. The culture itself was focused on wealth and power and materialism and hedonism, which is essentially the pursuit of and worship of pleasure. This was not the Jews' culture. This was, they were living away from their, quote, home base, and this had both physical as well as spiritual ramifications for them. So like these exiled Jews, we live in a culture that isn't our spiritual home. It is one focused on wealth and power and materialism and pleasure. Now, the people in this story, particularly when we think of Esther and Mordecai, they weren't perfect people. There were many ways in which they both were compromised by their culture. They aren't presented as icons of faith to emulate. Later this week, I'm hoping to release a mini episode or at the minimum post a video or do a live talking about their names and how this indicates that their compromised position that they lived in. But we can't help but be compromised by the culture, be affected maybe is a better word, by the culture that we live in. And today, we're going to pray through this idea of how we can live as obedient, righteous, faithful Christ followers in the midst of a culture who discourages that, or at least isn't pointing us towards that. 
The ESV introduction to Esther says this. This is a quote. The book of Esther illustrates that while the Christian community journeys in this exiled existence and waits in hope for, quote, relief and deliverance from Esther 4.14, some believers may find themselves in positions of government within the empires in which they reside. Christians should not be anxious about working in such contexts, but should instead use the God-given opportunity to work for just and compassionate legislation, which promotes peace and stability for all citizens. In this way, they anticipate the life of the new creation and bring a glimmer of light to a dark world. We're going to use Esther 10.3 as the jumping off point for this portion of the prayer. And this is the very last uh, verse in the book of Esther. It says, For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. All right, let's pray. Father, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask with this idea of us living in a place that is not our home is that we recognize where our citizenship is. Help us to see kind of how all of that plays out in our lives, the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of a kingdom that doesn't exist on earth in the way that other political kingdoms exist. Yet we have to live in these other political kingdoms. So help us recognize where our true citizenship is. Help us in that position to seek after you. Esther called for a fast on her behalf when she was trying to figure out how to behave in this exiled kingdom. The whole nation of Jews that were exiled within the Persian kingdom fasted for her. They, uh, at different points in this book, responded to national events, cultural events, the edict that came out. Uh, the second batch of edicts when they were, uh, when Mordecai and Esther put out that they could defend themselves, they responded in a national celebration and national um, seeking of your favor. I pray that we would do the same. We talked about this, I think, either last week or, the, or recently. Help us learn to seek after you in all that we do. Give us the wisdom and the desire to intentionally grow. The culture that we live in is not conducive to spiritual growth. It's conducive, particularly if we live in the United States or our Western culture, it is conducive to complacency. It is conducive to the worship of materialism and pleasure and wealth and power. I pray that you would draw our hearts towards you instead, towards love and uh, sacrifice and spiritual growth, toward worship, toward righteousness. And as we do that, as we, as we move deeper into relationship with you, as we grow spiritually, as we seek after you and recognize where our kingdom, our citizenship truly is, help us learn how to seek the good of people in our own context, whether that is in our family or our community or our state, or our nation, whatever context we serve you in, help us learn how to do this, how to seek the welfare of our people and speak peace. This is not as easy as it sounds, just saying a few words, and you know that we have trouble with speaking peace. Sometimes we're much better at talking about the good of people, 
not actually doing the things that we say we want to do, and not speaking peacefully to all. And I pray that we would, like the idea of the word peace is shalom. It's the Hebrew word shalom, and it means more than what we think of in English as the absence of hostility. It means the presence of the fullness of God in our lives. I pray that we would seek that, that peace for ourselves and for others. I pray that as we move in this alien place, as aliens in this culture, that we would be that place of peace, that people would know us for our love, for our relationship with you, that they would be drawn to that peace, and that that would be our approach to our world. Amen. All right, let's talk about what this book doesn't talk about. As we've mentioned before, this book doesn't mention God at all. And the number of coincidences and reversals of fortune are too many and too poetic to be chance, to not be God. He isn't mentioned, but his hiddenness does not mean that he is absent. He sovereignly and mercifully preserves his people in the midst of the threat against them, the very real, very permanent threat against the Jews. And I am sure that we all can relate to times in our lives when God feels distant or downright absent when it feels as if he isn't there and doesn't care. But this book is here to let us know that our feelings, our perceptions of God's presence are not the truth of the situation. And we're going to pray using two familiar New Testament verses that highlight this theme, partly because I thought they encapsulated what we want to talk about rather than pulling a There was no particular verse to pull out of Esther because it's one of this overall theme things. So we're going to go with Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And Matthew 28.20, the end of that verse says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am with you always to the end of the age, and I will work for the good of my people. All right, let's pray. Father, this aspect of this book has been much talked about. People have said that it is a secular story. People have said that it is not at all about God. But this idea that they had not mentioned you and that you are yet so obvious feels so helpful to me at times when I feel like you're absent, when it feels like you're not here. When I look out at the world and I see the the chaos and the darkness and the evil and the awfulness, and I wonder where you are, it helps to take a look at this book and say, I know that you are here regardless of what I see or how I feel. I can trust the truth of your scripture that says, I am with you always to the end of the age because you promised that you're here. In this story, you showed that you preserved your people. You worked for their good, no matter, even though the circumstances around them looked hopeless. You bring hope in the midst of hopelessness. We know that you work all things for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Not necessarily that I'm going to be beautiful and rich and powerful and all the things that the culture wants, but you work for the good of our hearts and for the good of your kingdom. And that's what I ask for you to do. I ask for you to do that in my life when even when I feel like you're not here, help me remember to look at this book and trust. 
help me learn to grow in trust and understand these verses in the context of the story of Esther. You have shown yourself faithful to your people throughout history. In this particular instance, when they were not necessarily following you the way that you had prescribed, when they were living in the middle of a culture that didn't follow you, that didn't care, that were affected by their culture, you still were present, even when it felt like or looked like you were absent, and you still moved to protect your people. So I ask you today, for those of us who feel like you might be absent right now, provide comfort, if nothing else, in the truth of this story, but help us to perceive you as is true of who you are. Okay, that didn't make any sense. (laughs) What I was trying to say was, even if it feels like you're not real to us at any given moment, remind us that you are. Give us things in our lives that remind us that you are present. You promise to be with us. And we acknowledge that today, no matter what our circumstances look like or how we feel, that you are with us always to the end of the age. When we feel like we begin to doubt that that's true, remind us of this story and of the lessons that we learned through it and all of the amazing reversals and circumstances that you ordained to lead to outcome for the good of your people, even if it didn't look like it along the way. Help us to remember this story and let it encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me today. If you're watching on Grace and the Gravel Roads Facebook page and you found this helpful, we'll be back not next Monday. We'll be off for the holiday. We'll be back the following week. And I would love to have you share it with someone that you know. If you're a podcast listener, subscribing to the show and sharing it with a friend will allow us to reach more people and join their voices with us in prayer. We're brought to you by Grace in the Gravel Road, and my heart is that as we do this together each week, that we would grow in our prayer lives, that God would use this time to direct your heart and answer your prayers. But most of all, I pray that you will fall deeper in love with the God who gave us these words. Amen. Amen.